Hello and welcome to the Me and My Golf podcast. We're your hosts and PGA golf coaches, Piers Ward and Andy Proudman. Each week we're going to share with you our 20 plus years of coaching experience to bring you top tips, the latest information and trends, along with some of the world's best in the golf industry to help you play the best golf of your life. So what are we waiting for? Let's get to it and help you take charge of your game. Hello everybody, thanks for tuning in. Hope you're all fit and well wherever you are. Now in today's podcast, we've got a special guest. It's his second appearance on the Me and My Golf podcast. We have performance coach Carl Morris. Now, Carl's worked with some of the best golfers in the world. He's coached major champions and he's coached multiple players and multiple winners on tour. So we thought we'd get Carl on to really talk about In this current climate and current situation, how we can develop and improve our mind and some of the skills that we can do before we get back on the golf course, but then also some of the skills that we can do when we are back on the golf course as well. So we always really enjoy talking to Carl. It's uh, it's an area and it's a passion of ours to, to really help golfers improve that side of the game as well and their skills and their mental ability on the golf course. So we could have gone for probably two or three hours on this one, but we know you're going to enjoy this. So without further ado, please welcome to the podcast, Carl Morris. Okay, welcome back to the podcast, Carl. Thanks so much for your time today. And also, welcome to the team. Welcome to the Me and My Golf family. So you are now part of our content creation team, and we're so looking forward to what you're going to deliver for us this year. And I think this is a really good time to be obviously creating some good sort of uh, performance and mental coaching is a great time to start, isn't it, with what's going on in the world? No, really excited, Piers. Thanks for uh, thanks for adopting me. I feel uh, <laughs> I pl- I've played a lonely furrow for, for so long, so it's nice to be part of a team again. That's great. Yeah, yeah no, brilliant, superb. So for those of you who don't know, Carl Morris is a performance coach. He's worked with some of the best players in the world, major champions, um, helped them obviously secure these major championships. And you've also been, and we've said this a lot, and we're going to continue to say it, Andy, we like talking about how influential Carl has been in our careers and you've been massively influential in our careers the way it was kind of like a green light moment when we first did the train brain seminars with you and jamie and it was suddenly we were like these we were two new men came out of that pga the belfry workshop you know our eyes opened and thinking so differently about not only how we coached people but also how we lived our lives so i know andy you want to say the same as well this car's been massive in our careers for sure yeah it certainly brought some some awareness to a different side of how we can improve our, our golf, you know, from a human side, really. I think that it, when we came out of that course, Pierce, it was like, oh, my God, we've, we've, how have we missed this? How have we missed this all our lives? And the next few times we went on the golf course, it was a different experience. And uh, I think we were thinking <laughs> so many thoughts, but it was over time, <laughs> I think it settled in and we've created some good habits and it certainly helped us as as individuals, but it's certainly helped us as coaches as well deliver some good stuff to our, uh, our our students as well. So yeah. But to the great credit of both of you, what you what you did, and it's something I always say to people that it's okay listening to courses, it's okay to go on courses, but the most important thing that you need to do is the actions that you take afterwards. And you know, you know, you've puffed my ego up, so I'll do the same for you. That <laughs> you know, you you both took action on it, didn't you? You actually, as as Andy's just said, you changed the way that you started to do things on a daily basis. And you know, that is the single most important thing is to is to, is to get good information and spend time with people. But but actually, what are the actions going to be that will make the difference? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it was definitely. weird, wasn't it, when we when we first came back to coaching? And this happens all the time whenever we do a seminar or do something, you learn something new, you're obviously very much want to put it into operation and people were talking to you and you're like going, oh no, what do I do now? (laughs) How am I processing this information? Because I need to change how you did it. But it didn't take long, obviously. And the good news with it is, anyone who's listening to this now or watching this now, they're not going to have to suddenly have to sit down for hours to figure it out. It is literally going to be light bulb moments. I need to stop doing this and I need to think a little bit more like this. I think that's that's been sort of my mission with it all, Piers, over the years, is that, you know, the, the, there's, there's loads of theory in the background and science, which is great, but ultimately people want tools that they can use straight away. And, and, and a lot of the tools are deceptively simple, but once you grasp them, it can, it can really change your whole perception of the game and, more, you know, more importantly, the direction your game goes and the improvement, because, you know, we're all passionately involved in the game and it's still 
it's still the case that a lot of people don't get anywhere near their true potential, do they? So I think, you know, when you can blend good technical information and understanding how we learn skills with a better mental approach, you know, the future gets a little bit interesting. It starts to become, you know, exciting with possibilities, really. That's, we like the sound of that, Andy. We like it the sound does, of that. It does. Well, let's, let's talk about the current situation, Rini. I think we can't really avoid yeah. talking about that at the no. moment. Um, tough times at tough times at the moment very uncertain and, and just a strange period to be in and I think from a from a lot of listeners to this they might be experiencing some some fear some negative emotions and and almost might struggle to even be able to turn anything into any anything positive and I think you know it's so important that yes we acknowledge the, the current state of, uh, that we're in but at the same time not let that sort of spiral out of control and, and let ourselves in, in get you know get ourselves thinking so negatively how can we how can we get us how can we change our thoughts change our mindset what can we do to to be a little bit more positive because i think some people as well carl will be they'll almost feel guilty that that you should be having a smile on your face looking forward keeping positive and and almost think that's a bad idea to do that but Obviously, that's all we can really do, isn't it? That's the only option. I think the first thing, and you know, I'd include myself in this, Andy. That you know, when when this literally, when the curtain came down a few days ago, I think we've all we've all experienced some level of panic because you your brain in automatically creates what if scenarios and, and all the rest of it. And you know, in times like that, we we, we do look for, for for inspiration. And I I actually started uh, to look back again to a guy that had a massive influence on me. I never met him, but I'd, I'd, I'd done a lot of research on him. And it was a guy called Gerald, Captain Gerald Coffey. <clears throat> now, Gerald Coffey was uh, an American um, fighter pilot in the, in the Vietnam War. And to cut a very long story short, you know, he, he was shot down uh, and he was taken into, uh, he was captured and he was taken into um, a prison in Vietnam, which became eventually known as the, as the Hanoi Hilton. Uh, and I'm far from it being a, a, a place of comfort like we'd associate with Hilton. You know, life was a six by four solitary confinement cell, and he was in solitary confinement for, for seven years. And he, he talks about in his book, he said, the first question he kept asking himself over and over again is, why me? Why me? Why has this happened to me? And he said that what happened that that led him into such a negative spiral mm -hmm. of, of despair. But he said, Finally, one morning, he was a man of, you know, a man of faith, and he and he said he realised that the problem was was the questions that he was asking himself, and he said he said he started to change the question. He said, "How how can I use this time? How can I benefit from this time? How how can I turn this around?" And he said, from that moment, he said his perspective on everything changed because he, it gave him some purpose. Now. I think when you hear stuff like that, and I'm not diminishing, there are some people, you know, in real bad situations. Let's let's not let's not you know gloss over that. But for most of us, when you hear a story like that, and you sort of think, well, it's bad, but I'm not in a six by four cell in 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 Vietnam for seven years, you know, and and even in that the, the ultimate extreme of human experience, he was able to change the way he looked at it by changing his questions. You know, and it's something I've we've talked about before on on the golf course. It sounds a bit trite comparing it to this, but you know, on the golf course, what do questions do? Well, questions focus your attention, and and ultimately, the thing that we're all going to battle with in this current situation is where is our attention? And when you start to understand by asking a little bit better questions, because when the question is, you know, what's the future going to bring? Jesus, we're going to disappear down a rabbit hole. <laughs> but all of a sudden when that question maybe changes to, okay, what can I do today? What, 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 what could I use this situation for? And I think we're all seeing, even in the golf industry, some incredible creativity already. You know, people getting creative about what they can do in the garden or, you know, I, I've, I've said to a few people, you know, the, in the UK, the government's instruction that you can have one bit of exercise today, uh, each day. Even that, if it's just a walk, you could actually practice um, you know, placing your attention on, on, on your breath or whatever it is, things like things that you could then use on the golf course when you, when you get back to the game. So 
you know, I don't, I don't want to say this time's an opportunity because that sounds ridiculous. But, you know, when you relate it to Gerald Coffey and Vietnam and, and you sort of think, mm, maybe I need to grasp hold of my perspective on this situation. And that's the most important thing I would say is understand your perspective and can you shape it in a way that's more useful to you? Well, as you said, you have a, you have a choice to make every day when you wake up and what you do. And if you can actually look at look back at the end of the day and go, well, what did did I make good choices today? Did I ask good questions? I think, you know, it's so understandable in this current climate. You know, you've just watched the news and you're going, OK, yeah, these things, these things aren't seem to get seeming to get much better. But you have got the opportunity to say, well, look, if I can just look after myself and ask myself good questions and, and challenge myself to do something that will benefit me. You're going to find us a, a lot better mindset for a lot of people around the world, for sure. And I think, I mean, this is something I've chatted, uh, we chatted about previously, Andy. I think the danger for us all when suddenly, at the minute, days don't exist, do they? It's not a Monday or a Tuesday or a Friday. Or a, it's 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 kind of like one compressed lump of time that all of a sudden, you know, you don't have to get, you have a choice whether you get up in the morning. But I, I would that would be one key thing that I would say to people, if you possibly can, even make yourself get up earlier than you normally would. Because my big thing is if you're going to have a good day, it's a bit like a round of golf. It does help if you start it well. Mm, you know, if you start the day badly and you stay in bed for two hours and, you, you know, I, I, how many people ever feel better mm -hmm. after you've laid in bed for an extra we, we think it's great at the time, but then you pay for it the whole day. So if you can just get yourself up first thing in the morning and do something, whether that's the time you go for the walk or whatever it is that you do, you know, write that document that you've been promising yourself to do or, you know, type, whatever it is, I think just understanding the power, like I say, I, I look at it like, if you know, if you if you can be three under after five in a round of golf, it's, a, it's an awful lot better than being six <laughs> over, clearly. And, and, and use that analogy at the minute, you know, focus on doing something first early in the day that then creates a cascade of actions after that. Because a bad start usually leads to a bad day. It does. You, you do realise, Andy, sorry, we're going to be writing down all of these things, all these little nuggets now, and there's going to be like quotes that appear on me and my golf. Yeah, appears sort of this. <laughs> Andy's writing it down already. I'll I've be got my notepad well. ready. And I think that, you know, what we just talked about there, one of the first things that when this happened, me and Pierce, I think because of, spending time with you and because of maybe having a bit more awareness and one of the first things we said okay look this is a really tough time and we, we said what what's the opportunity here you know that was the that was our question and we actually said to each other okay look in this time we've got to ask good questions yeah. and we said what's the opportunity here and the opportunity is is what's happening right now we're getting to chat to you because people have got more time and and the opportunity is we can then share information from you that's going to help others. So it's like, well, these are the positive things that are happening from actually just asking one good question. Mm. So it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. And it's, the, the, I think the key thing is like, like all of it, Carl, that what you say is it all sounds so simple. It, 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 you know, it's like, well, just, is it really that easy? Just asking a different question, but it is if you're aware and you, and you can practice that in tough times to go, I've got to reframe my thinking and ask a good question. And even just the, the talking about the habits in the morning, Carl. One thing that I have done every single day this week, I'm like, okay, I'm going to make sure my routine is exactly the same as it was when I was at work. I'm getting up, I'm getting dressed as if I'm going into the office or to the golf course. I'm making sure that everything is exactly the same because it's so easy to go, oh, I don't have to get up today. I'll have an extra. And I know I've been more productive doing those things and, and got more done in that first three or four hours of the morning. And, and I feel great for doing that as well. Yeah, but I, th to, I think know, it's better. Sorry, interrupting. Yeah. I think it's better because I'm going to get in the car. <laughs> I'm going to do a car journey so I can get it done quicker. <laughs> more time, Pierce. You know, more time, time. yes. <laughs> what have we all complained about for so many years? Oh, you know, life's too busy. I've not got time for anything, you know, and I, I'm constantly stressing about everything. Well, you know, this is it's a chance for us all to reset a little bit, you know, and, you know, back to Gerald Coffey again, apparently in that six by four cell, he actually played golf every day. He actually, you know, probably heard me tell this story. You know, he he, he, he would, and, he, and apparently, and whether this story has grown legs, I don't, I don't know, but it's, 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 it's such a great, you know, apparently he'd, he'd ring up the country club every day and ask if there was a tee off time. And, you know, <laughs> surprisingly, there was. Um, you know, and then he, he'd literally play the whole old golf course. He'd visualize the shots and go through the motions. And I saw something the other day, Nick Faldo was saying, 
um, I think it was on Twitter. You know, if 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 you can still walk on the golf course, I know I know a lot of courses are actually shut, but if you can actually walk on there, not play, not practice, obviously because we can't do that. He said, "What a great time to go out there and visualize shots, visualize shots that you're going to play." Um, Love that. I think we talked on a previous podcast, didn't we, about looking at the golf course from back to front. Mm-hmm. You know, seeing a different perspective, I call it shattering the illusion because the course architect is always trying to create illusion. I call it the railway line effect. You know, you stand on a railway and it always looks like it, it, the, the railway lines meet because when you look down something, there's a narrowness effect. And that's what, co- that's what course designers do. However, when you look at it the other way, you stand at the back of the green or back the, and look backwards, you can see a completely different perspective. So if you can get out onto your own golf course and walk it, Go and walk it backwards, and I promise you, that course that you thought you knew back to front, you'll see it completely differently. I love that. And we'll definitely get you talking about that because we are going to ask you about what people can actually do at home now, and and maybe there's another version of doing that. But before we get into that, obviously, it's as far as tournament golf is concerned now, obviously, a lot of amateurs around the world aren't able to play in the competitions, but obviously, the pros aren't able to play either. I mean, what we saw at Sawgrass was just bizarre. Obviously, it was obviously happening very quickly over there to then suddenly go from playing a full round with spectators and then saying, now it's going to be a full round the rest of the tournament without spectators, and then a couple of hours later saying, no, we're now going to shut it down. Yeah. I mean, what what do you think's going to... I mean, who, who knows, but I'm not asking you for the definitive, definitive answer here, by the way, but... What do you think we should do with the season if we come to June or July and that's when we start playing tournament golf again? Do the majors all fit in? Do the Ryder Cup? I mean, you know, we haven't really heard about those sort of things yet. Um, I think what every sport needs to do, I think, is when we do get the green light, is, is probably give everybody a few weeks to start training again. I'm thinking mm-hmm. all the sports, not just golf, you know, uh, do, do, you know, get get back to some kind of level of fitness. But I think... I think the more that every organization can put in these major events, whatever time of year, it doesn't really matter. Can you can you imagine the celebration that will be when we get to go to watch the Masters again? It'll be just yeah. a it'll be just a festival of yeah. golf, won't it? So that the, the the sooner we can get the big events up and running again. You know, I'm a I'm a massive cricket fan and and and, I, and I've read an awful lot about uh, 1946. You know, imagine you know, there, there was no sport for, for, for six years, five, six years during the war. But in, in 1946, there was a there was a massive boom in cricket because people uh, just just wanted to get out and, and, and watch the game again and be involved. And there's some great stories about, you know, great, great, great players, Dennis Compton and Bill Edrich. You know, they just scored so many runs because they were just they were just so pleased to be back out with the sun on the back playing the game again so i think we've got to keep those visions strong as well that you know it will it will come back but what a celebration it's going to be when we do get back and you know we've heard nothing but doom and gloom about the the game of golf and participation for a long time maybe this i'm not saying it's going to be hard for everybody we do get back but maybe there'll be a boom in golf because you know you just be so glad to get out there on these beautiful golf courses and you know, talking about walking because I walked my local course yesterday, and and you, and you, you know you get some you get some thoughts thinking, God, I, you know, how much have we took this for granted? Mm, how much have totally. we took all of this for granted? Yeah. You know, in the in in the book we did, like Gary Nichol, um, you know, lost out of playing golf. We we wrote about um, called it the the Tuesday Boys, and I, I don't know if I've told this story before, but I was at a place down in the south. Um, and, and, and I was walking along the fairways and I just saw this bench. You know, you become a bench at the golf club. If you've been important at the golf club, you end up at the bench, don't you? <laughs> and I saw this, Only if you're really, really lucky. <laughs> yeah, you could have been on three committees at least. And all that. But I saw this bench and it said to the Tuesday boys and underneath the names and everything. And I walked away and I, I, I stopped in my tracks because I thought, my God, these guys clearly obviously played on a Tuesday. But eventually they ran out of Tuesdays. There were no more Tuesdays left for them all, and that's why they ended up, you know, the the, the memorial to them there. And, and and even then, I you know that's twelve months ago. I wrote that, and I just thought we're all very arrogant, aren't we? Or we have we have all been very arrogant that we think there's always another Tuesday, and we think there's another chance, and we think there's another opportunity. And this current situation's clarified that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so as I say, again, when we do get back, I think there'll be just a just a huge upsurge of just joy of being back and gratitude for, for being out there. Yeah, yeah. totally I think agree, totally agree. I think it's, it'd be interesting because I think, <laughs> I wonder how many people don't necessarily get out that much anyway, but because they've been told they can't get out, they really want to get out. You know, it's that sort of, <laughs> you know, so I think that's it'd be an interesting point to see how, if it changes their lives, the people who don't necessarily normally want to go out, but now mm-hmm. they can't, they go, okay, when, when this is lifted, I'm going to make sure I, uh, I do something yeah, with my life. Yeah. Yeah. I have, a, I have a question as well. You know, when you walk the course of the day, mm-hmm. did you shoot? Oh, I was eight under. Good man. Good man. <laughs> I, don't, I only walked eight holes. <laughs> so let's talk then, Carl, a little bit about some of the things that, you know, people are asking us now, well, what can I do at home? Like I'm, I'm bored out my brains. Well, how can I practice? And, um, from our side of things, we're sharing some things that they can do from a from a technique standpoint. But yeah. what are the things that people can do, um, you know, that, that could potentially help their golf or help their their mindset? Sort of. So when this does clear, they're uh, they're back into it. Really, they can hit the ground running. I think I think one really simple one, Andy, and you could start with putting on this is that, you know, we all know, all know, we we should all know the importance of centered strike. You know, whether that's in, in your putts for, for judging pace or when you get up to the driver, the ability to at the centre of the face. And as you guys know far better than me, that, that you know, the, the, the difference between centred strikes and toe strikes and heel strikes is, is huge. And I think and not enough golfers know where they do consistently at the ball on the club face. You know, and I think so if you've got some spray uh, athlete's foot spray or the, the strike spray that you can get now i think you know standing in, in, even in the in the hallway with your putter and just finding out where your consistent strike is do you have a consistent uh, strike um you know and, and and even exercises like you know hitting it deliberately off the toe hitting it deliberately off the heel and then being able to trap the feeling somewhere in the middle but just can spend some real quality time just placing your awareness on on the golf club and where you are hitting it on a, on a consistent basis. If you've got a net in the garden, even better, you know, you can get out there again, spray, spray the face of the club uh, and just get really, really tuned into your ability, your skill to hit the center of the golf club. Because, you know, as I say, you guys know better than me, just, just that one skill can make a massive difference. Can't it for, for players? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's definitely overlooked by a lot of people really. That's, mm. um, it's such a key part as well that people don't necessarily think about. Yeah. So from a from a from a, a mental side, a mind mindset side of things, what are the things that or what are the habits that people can maybe? Because I think this is also an opportunity to 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 form some new habits over these mm. next period of time because we're in a situation it's completely broke our pattern. Mm. We've almost got to get used to staying indoors, but it is an opportunity to say, well, okay, what habits can I do that I that weren't there before, that when again it's clear that I can sort of. That they've almost they're almost established then really or certainly close to being established. Yeah. Well, what we do know, Andy, is I mean the research is very strong on the benefits of imagery and visualization. You know, you throw it throughout the history of sport, great players in lots of Muhammad Ali, Pele, that you know, the anecdotal evidence is that mentally rehearsing what you're gonna do can be a powerful assistance because your system doesn't really know the difference between something that's real and something that's vividly imagined. You know, one exercise we used to, I don't know whether I remember did it on the course with you, that, you know, if everybody now can really vividly imagine sinking their teeth into a ripe lemon and get really good up, good with that image, you'll, you'll find that you'll start to salivate as a result of that. So you, you, your body reacts to the images in your, in your, in your mind. So, well, what can you do with that? Well, why not, why not, to give yourself 10 or 15 minutes to actually say okay well what's my normal pre-shot routine like can you could you mentally rehearse what a good pre-shot routine would be like could you then mentally rehearse the movement that you're trying to make in your swing now on that again as i understand it it's a powerful thing to to rehearse rehearse the swing that you want to make from a detached location so it's as though you're watching yourself on a screen do that a few times and then actually mentally step into that image 
you know, if, if you're in the house, you could actually do this. Get hold of a golf club or in the garden and step into the image and see if you can recreate the movement from the first image that you've made. So you, you're now in an associated situation where you're actually in the image rather than looking at yourself. Um, I mean, the other one I think people could do is go back over some of the worst rounds that they've played and actually think, how did I react? And, and get very embarrassed about the way that you've reacted to some of the things that you've done on a golf course and see the sort of childish responses that we've always that we've all <laughs> fallen into. And okay, and ask, this, ask yourself the question, how can I respond differently next time? So, you know, you can mentally rehearse your pre-shot, your shot, and your post-shot in, in, this, in this current situation. The other one that I think is hu a huge opportunity, I was talking with a guy yesterday called Nick O'Hearn, who... Um, you remember Nick, obviously. Yeah, Nick, yeah. Left hander. Left -hander. Yeah. Nick, I just used to see him on tour a lot, and I just admired him so much because, you know, by his own admission, he wasn't a brilliant ball striker. But my goodness, he got the best out of himself. He, he got to top twenty in the world at one point, and he actually, I think, he's the only person who's beaten Tiger Woods twice in match play. And he yeah. beat him in match play twice when Tiger was at his best. The second time he beat him, listen to, listen to this for a game. How, how would you fancy this for a game? You're going to play Tiger Woods. I think it was 2005, I think it was. And he just won, I think, six tournaments on the trot. Mm. And Nick Owen gets to play him in the match play. <laughs> wow. So, you know, how would you feel <laughs> about that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, good luck with your opposition. <laughs> <laughs> but but he, Nick said he sat, he sat down with his caddy and, and, and they talked, what can we do? How can we beat this guy? Again, back to good questions. And they came up with, they came up with a formula. Um, and he said, yeah, it, it would probably have only happened once in, in 50 times, but they were ready to play. But the point I'm going to get to is, is that Nick talked about the 90% and he said, well, 90% of the time that you play golf, you're not actually playing golf. You know, it's in-between time on the golf course. And it's that in-between time when we spend so much mental energy regretting what's happened in the past, beating ourselves up for what's happened in the past, or getting very fearful of what might happen in the future. Okay, well, what can we do at the moment that you could assist with that? Well, there's something that's very well known in... Um, um, people who study meditation, it's something called, called walking meditation, whereby as you walk, you actually place your attention on the feeling of your feet on the floor. Now, as you place your attention on the feeling of the feet on the floor, you're actually bringing yourself into the present moment. Now, that sounds very easy and it sounds a bit trite and a bit left field, but go and, go and do it. Go and do it in the next few days and you'll find how much your mind wanders all the time. You'll, you'll say, all right, I'm going I'm to focus on the feeling of my feet on the floor. And you'll take four steps and you'll be thinking what you're going to have for tea or you'll be thinking whatever. But bring it back. Bring your attention back. Bring your attention back. So all of a sudden, your walk that you can take every day can almost be a sacred ritual now. Well, you're actually working on something that's going to help you golf. You're working on the 90% that virtually nobody looks at. How can we ignore 90% of the game? I love it's that. crazy. I love that. And you've said, I suppose... you, we've heard you talk before, sorry, Andy, we've heard you talk before about how good Tiger is at this, mm. you know, and I think they, you know, you, I don't know whether you still refer to it, but as BS time, it would be that time when they could actually switch off from the situation which is the back nine at augusta yeah. you know so they're not thinking he's not walking down the 13th fairway thinking about his second shot into the green he's actually just speaking to steve williams and just actually just talking about nothing in particular but then obviously comes the point when he gets to his 10 percent part of the round where he has obviously got to be able to turn it back on yeah obviously and i know you've talked about that a lot but it is interesting, isn't it? I think a lot of golfers will be playing golf and during that 90% of the time, they're either beating themselves up or they're expending their concentration powers, if we want to call it that. They're basically just not functioning efficiently when they're on the course. Yeah. I mean, I love it. we've used this analogy before, Piers, and with it, the idea if you go out on a round of golf and you've got, um, imagine an egg timer that's full of, full of concentration you're going out for five hours, but the egg timer only contains about an hour at the most. Yeah. So the real skill is be able to switch it off, switch it on, but maybe the bigger skill is switching it off. You yeah. know, and again, Nick Owen said that he sat down with his caddy 
when they first got together and, and, and they really came up with a plan and it was it was similar to that, that they were going to talk any kind of bullshit other than golf <laughs> in, in, in between shots. But he said he now realised what an Im, immense contribution his caddy made for his career because he was so, he was, you know, he joked about how, how good he was at talking. <laughs> he was talking, good at talking crap, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we all know people who are good at that, but... Uh, but yeah, you, you know, these, these are things that you don't think about perhaps enough. And, you know, a lot of these players, when, they, when they're not playing now and they reflect back on their careers, these threads are so important. But as I say, we, that's one reframe on this whole situation is it's a great opportunity to work on the 90%. Yeah, and they're all skills as well, aren't they? All these take practice, Carl, and the, the, the more you do them and when you talk about the sort of walking meditation, it's going to be extremely hard at first. Yeah. But as you practice that, you'll be able to get quickly back to that present moment because you've been there before, you know how to bring it back and you're more aware of it. And if you can start working at these skills now, then like you say, when you get back to the golf course, they're almost, they're almost well, they're going to be a little bit better trained and hopefully going to impact the, the performance as well. One of the first things with that to, to do, and it is a really pleasurable experience to do it, that the first thing when you do walking meditation, so you go out with the intention of placing your attention on the feeling of your feet. The first thing to do is just notice what your mind does. Notice how distracted it is. Notice how it wants to go anywhere other than what you've decided to focus on. That's the key, is to first of all notice. Don't beat yourself up about it, but just gently, gently bring your attention back. And yeah, you know, as... Um, Guy, I, I work with a meditation coach, you know, Vin Harris. He, he talks about it that, that it, it's a daily practice that's required. It's, it's, you know, it's not something that you can jump in and out of. We've all read books on meditation, and we all know, oh, it's a good thing to do. But there's a huge difference between having a conceptual understanding of something and having a daily practice. It's interesting, isn't it? We at the um, we went to the Orlando uh, Teaching and Coaching Summit. I think it was just over 12 months ago, and there was a guy there, Dave Phillips from, from TPI, was with a guy called Chris Sinog, mm. who actually trains snipers. Right. And he says the first thing that he does with snipers is he teaches them mindfulness. Mm. Because when you're a sniper, you need to be able to have like this pure focus. Mm. And the first thing is, I want to train them mindfulness so their brain can focus on exactly what their attention needs to be focused mm. on. You know, and so I suppose yeah. even that even that focus on the feet could lead to helping you focus on the target or something yes, else. Absolutely. You know, it, it'll sort of transpire through a lot of other things, a lot yeah. of other areas. Yeah, yeah. there's been Chris such a, uh, mindfulness. He was, he, was a, he was a Navy SEAL as well. Chris was, so he was a hundred percent, obviously, the real deal. So, uh, yeah, interesting well, character. It's something that they've used in the military for a long time. You know, I think when people hear the word mindfulness and meditation, they sort of think of, you know. You know, yoga classes and flowery, you know, whatever. And, you know, it's not. It's it's. it's That's not how science. you meditate, Carl. I'm sure you meditate like that with flowers everywhere. And <laughs> you're that good. You float, don't you? <laughs> a, bit, a bit of Jimi Hendrix on in the background and some joss sticks and all the rest. Of it. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, just so, on, a, on, a, on a lighter moment, I, I, all, all the sort of inventive stuff that's uh, that's going around. I saw a, it was a cartoon figure that came through the other day, and it's it's got this cartoon figure of, of a lot of cartoons of people, cartoon figures in an in an aircraft, and they're all sat there in in, in this aircraft, and it comes on the on the on the intercom. This is uh, this is Alex, your pilot for today. I'm working from home today. There are that's, that's the one good thing is there's plenty of entertainment going on through your phones. You know, go on WhatsApp. There there's, there's bound to be something there. So, okay, let's 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 obviously talk a little bit now about when golfers are now getting ready to go and play golf again. Because I think this, you're giving some great things there. There's just a couple there, and obviously, just go and check out Carl and the, the, the books that you've wrote before. I mean, there's there's loads of great information. Check out Carl's podcast as well. But we'll talk about that later. But if we're talking about golfers when you get onto the golf course, me and Andy often refer to it as the inner caddy. You know, the brain being your caddy. So Tiger Woods has the luxury of somebody telling him, you know, giving him advice on what clubs to hit, you know, what strategy should play on the hole. Now, everything that Tiger Woods caddy or whoever's caddy will say to them is based on what they want to achieve. Yes, they may be aware that they they shouldn't miss it left. So but then they build a strategy for that shot based on how to 
hit it into the place that they want to do. But as we know, amateur golfers, when they get on the golf course, they're in a caddy. So they don't have someone obviously caddying for them, generally speaking. Their inner caddy will be, don't hit out of bounds. Last time you played here, you, you three-putted on that first green, you know, and, a, and, and you hit a shank. And you, So the, these things are going through their head all the time. How do you, with your clients, help them to be a better, to have a better inner caddy? Just to sort of backtrack on, on that, uh, Piers, before we get to the, what well, hopefully be the answer because I, I do waffle, I know, but bear, bear, bear with me. No more that it's very important to people to understand that, from an even from an evolutionary perspective, that we that humans have always organised movement around a clear intention. That's a really, really important point. If you think about it, when we roamed around in caves and you came out of the cave in the morning and you had to you had to survive by securing some prey. You know, they would have created weapons and things like that. Now, if there was an animal that needed to be caught, that the intention was clear to send the implement to the animal, if you like. Now, I can't imagine that there were too many spear-throwing coaches, and there certainly weren't videos of, of ground reaction forces and all that kind of stuff in, the, in, in those days, because we probably wouldn't have survived as a species. If you, if you think about it, the intention is clear. I'm going to project this implement in that direction. A movement would have organized around that. So the point I'm making is that intention is very, very important. So then it comes to when you get on the golf course, okay, how do you clarify your intention? Well, you clarify your intention by asking good questions. Now, again, to harp onto this, as Piers has just said, the mind generally will be, oh, don't do this, don't do that, don't miss it right, avoid the water. But if the question was, what does a good shot look like here? Then all of a sudden, when you ask that question, your your brain body system goes to work on the answer. So what does a good shot look like here? It looks like slight draw, high fade, whatever it may be. The vital thing is to get really consistent to asking that question. You know, it's something that we worked on with Graham McDowell for an awful long time. Um, you know, and, and Graham's been kind enough to say that when when he was at uh, the times when in his career when he's when he's been struggling, he talked about the US Open coming down the back nine and you know that white heat moment of having an opportunity to win a major. And he said, you know, he was feeling nervous, his body's shaking and things like that. But one thing he remembered to do was keep asking good questions. And the good question, what does a good shot look like? You know, and you can even do it at the moment when you can't get on the golf course. Picture yourself on the first tee of your course. What does a good shot look like? And an image will come into your mind. Now, once you've created the image, that is a clear intention. Then you can focus your attention on what you need to do with the golf club to produce that shot. But it's the intention that must come first because it's the intention that will create the organization of movement in the way that we did, you know, a million years ago to survive. I think it's a it's a really interesting one because I think just just thinking about this and situations that are and, and maybe listening to what some of our students say is that it's quite often what that I hear somebody say, look, when it, when it comes to a difficult shot, I've got to draw it a high draw around a tree or I've mm-hmm. got to play a low fade. Mm-hmm. Quite a few people have said to me, look, I feel it's easy to play those shots, and. But yet, when they're faced with a basic, simple shot, they 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 struggle. And I think half of it is because, well, they're not when they've got a very simple shot, they're not necessarily having to think and they're not and, asking the question. And they're not asking the exactly. So, so when they go, yeah. So what you've described there is when the situation, when it's a tough shot, as you said, basically the situation describes the shot for you because there's only exactly. that option. Now, even you know, we, we've all seen it. You know, even, even maybe higher handicap golfers can play some amazing shots in those situations because the intention is so clear and the body manages to organize movement. And then, as you say, the rest of the round, then when you've got a standard tee shot and a standard approach shot, we're not asking those questions. No. You know, we're getting into where, 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 where the right elbow should be and the left hip and all the rest of it. <laughs> now, yes, those things can play a part, but I think, again, this is an opportunity for people to really consider the important sequence, that intention is everything. Nick Faldo said the most powerful force he ever felt on a golf course was clear intention. 
So when he when his intention was clear, he said, you know, in, in those majors, he said he could he could be feeling so uncomfortable and his body was shaking. But when his intention was clear, it was amazing the shots that he managed to produce. Graham's talked about it, and that was really interesting. He said, he talked to him about Ryder Cups and things like that. And he said, he said, it's weird that when you get in such an intense situation of pressure, it, it's almost as though the mind narrows everything down and there just becomes one option. And that option is, this is where the ball needs to go from here to there on the green, or this is what the tee shot needs to be. It's, it's a weird thing. It's, it's an incredible intensity that actually just creates clear intention. Um, you know, and this is what these great players are able to do in those moments. That they've, they've, they've a way of narrowing everything down. That this, I feel, I feel uncomfortable, but this is what I'm going to do. And I think the big myth is that good players feel great on the golf course under pressure. They don't. They just feel it like the rest of us. But they have a way of. They've got an operating system similar to what we've talked about of just getting the job done in the face of discomfort, not not in the absence of it. They can order things correctly, can't they? Yeah. You know, just so we, you know, you, like you, you mentioned before, Piers. You know, there's no way in a military situation a, a fighter pilot is is not going to be in discomfort in in you know war zones and things like that. But the, the Woods talked about this. The training kicks in. Now the training of mindfulness and things like that and an operating procedure. They're able to still function. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't think we've looked enough at this in 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 the game of golf. You know, we. We deal with almost everything other than the sequence before the shot and after the shot. You know, and we're not saying the swing's not important. That would be ludicrous. But there's so much more to this picture, I think, than, than, than we even ever look at. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, totally agree. Agree. So I think. So would you recommend that the guys, when they're playing on the golf course, would you say, ask a consistent question? So just Absolutely. Like the, 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 the consistent number question. One mental skill. The number one mental skill to develop, Andy, to begin with, is, is find out what your question question is work with your coach on it you know work with you guys on it and find out what your question needs to be but just stick to that simple principle shot after shot after shot after shot and you'll you know there'll be some crap in there you'll hit bad shots you won't all be playing sailing but if you keep asking that consistent shot you know, everybody talks about consistency in golf and yet you know you the consistency in the swing is never going to be there is it the best players in the world missed one in every three greens and one in every three fairs that's the best so let's let's accept that shots are never going to be consistent, but process can be. Yeah. There's no reason why even anybody can't ask a good question on every shot. And I promise you, if you do that, you'll get so much closer to what you're capable of. I think it's it's definitely it's something that I've done with clients when we get them on the golf course, and and we would just talk about things like this, and got to the point where we get them to have a conversation with somebody. So they are actually yes. having a conversation with somebody. They are asking that caddy the great questions, you know, asking them of themselves effectively, what shot do I need to play here? And I think by actually simulating and pretending, I've not had anyone name a caddy yet or anything like that, but if you did have a imaginary friend, Steve, who was helping you out, people might think you're going crazy, but you'll be picking up the trophy at the end of the day. And I think, just getting them to, into those habits. And it's so hard for it. To, it's so easy, should I say, for it to slip. It is hard to do, but that's when training. It's, it's the same as going to the gym. You know, you don't get you don't get fit going once to the gym. You've got to keep doing it off over and over again. We've spoke about that so many times for sure. So I think consistently saying to yourself now and going to your point there, Andy, about asking yourself good questions, promise yourself now when you do go and play golf that you're going to do that every time that you, that you hit a shot for three rounds in a row. I know you spoke about that before, three rounds in a row every time. Suddenly then you might start to find that you're getting some consistency to that to that question asking. And what you can do, Piers, is make it make make it fun as well. Cause when we do get back out there, you know, you can say, right, the, the, the goal today is I'm going to ask a good question on every shot. Score it. So that your your main score, you know, you're going to write four, five, three, whatever in this in the in the scorecard, but if you've asked a question on every shot, give yourself a tick on the scorecard, and you're aiming you're aiming for 18 ticks. Now, if you if you've scored 18 ticks, you've 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 gone through the process every single time. Now, the great thing about doing things like that, you know, the score on the right, the score score isn't actually under your control, because if it bounces left instead of right, it might be in a trap and you drop a shot. But the left hand column, your process score is 100% up to you. 
Yeah. Now, if you if you can get close, to, you can promise everybody. You if you if you get eighteen ticks the first time, you're cheating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But let, let's say you get. You know, the good thing about doing the ticks is that if you miss one, you can get back onto it for the next hole. Yeah. Now I say to players, you're far better off. Focus. If you've had a bad hole, you're far better off on getting a tick on the on the next hole rather than trying to make a birdie. Mm. Yeah. Padraig Harrington always said, you can't make birdies. You've just got to create the conditions for them. Yeah. And that's a great sentiment, you know, that if you if you, you, you dropped a shot and you push it on the next because you think you're going to make up for it, then you drop another one, another, and all of a sudden the, the run of bogeys happens. But if your goal on the next hole is to get a tick and you've got to ask a question on every shot, okay, I did it. Now, regardless of the number, you've done your bit. But what I find time and time again, as the, as the tick score improves, you, you have some nice reading on the right-hand side. Yeah. It filters through. I like that. Yeah. I like how I like the just thought on the consistency side of things. There is that's you're not going to be consistent with the ball flight and the impact, but that's something that you can take control of and you can be consistent with. And if you're more consistent with that, well, there's a good chance you're going to see some level of improvement in your game as well. I like it. And you know what? Well, look, what look at, what's look made at me what, think? Look at what you guys. Sorry to interrupt. Look at what no. you guys have, have done. You know, how have you built the, the huge following that you that you have? Is it because you just posted an odd video here and there? Mm, in the early days i mean i don't you know you told me the story in the early days you 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 know you just kept posting good content out didn't you and it was there was a consistency and that must have been hard in the early days when you know there wasn't the interest that there is now but you kept at it you know it doesn't just happen does it it's not it's not it's not it's not it's not not an accident no no. Do you know what it's made me think piss i haven't got a question you know even from this i'm like what's my question i don't know so that's something that I will be thinking about next time on the golf course. What is the question that I can ask? Because I'm aware of these things, but it's, you know, it's it's we it's easy to sort of. I think when you when you're made aware of these things yourself and and you can sort of relate to them, you go, okay, right, I can take action on that now. And a lot of people listening to this will go, okay, yeah, that, that, I can relate to that so much. Now I'm aware of that, I can take action on it. And if you can take action on it, then you're going to see something different, which is. Well, I think that's, better results. that's why we do what we do now, I suppose, Andy, because you know, we're coaches as a result of the fact that we're perhaps not good enough at asking that question ourselves. You know, we're pretty decent at swinging a golf club and hitting a golf ball. I mean, Carl, obviously, you obviously you, you were a professional yourself. You know, we can all hit the ball. But it's like, you know, as you say, how do you action these, you know, this this question, question, question all the time? Maybe we should all go and play tournament golf again. Come on, guys. <laughs> I feel really good about things right now. <laughs> what did they say? Those who can do it and those who can't cheat. <laughs> <laughs> in that category. <laughs> but yeah, I think, uh, you know, I mean, we can all look back and, you know, I've been very fortunate to, to do what I've ended up doing. But, you know, if I could, if I, if I could relive some of it, I would spend a lot less time in the search for technical perfection and, and much more time creating golf shots because actually that's what I loved to do as a kid you know and I, you know we, we've all we all had that when we first started you know just getting out there and creating golf shots and you know somewhere on, along the line a lot of us lost that didn't we what's going on in here we can't see when mm. when we see yeah. someone hitting a thousand golf balls on the range and then practicing their chipping and putting working out in the gym we can see all of this what's going on here it's difficult to comprehend for people there's no there's no physical you know there's nothing there is there or doesn't seem that way anyway i think one thing that everybody you know you guys will have interviewed a lot of players you know and especially the ones that maybe don't play anymore and and virtually to a man they'll they'll say i wish i'd done more on the on the mental side of the game when i when, when i was playing yeah, you know, we're, we're not dismissing swing. We're not saying it's not important. We're not. We're not saying you, you have to develop skills. And these guys are incredibly skillful. But you know, the difference week in week out, like Nico Hearn was saying, you know, the difference week in week out is how how do you manage yourself? Because even the best players in any four round tournament, they don't have the game for seventy two holes. It's very very rare that that happens, even for the best. He said it's how you know it's how do you manage yourself when your swing doesn't feel great and you've got up and you've got your you know your back's a bit stiff or whatever but you find a way of getting it round that day and then something just clicks and you're away and you know you turn you turn seventy four into seventy one you stay in the tournament and then Saturday you go and shoot sixty five and you know every, everybody focuses on the sixty five but actually it was probably the seventy one when you were playing awful that was the key. It's a difference. Yeah. That's the difference. Know what, what spot a little bit of sort of. Uh 
reminded me of something there is we we heard Hal Sutton speak uh, about a year ago and he was saying how he went down the technical route trying to change his golf swing and it completely messed him up because he heard some reporter say that he's never going to win at the Masters, the Augusta. So he changed his whole golf swing to hit the golf ball higher. And then um, he was sort of on stage and he's talking. He said, well, look, he says, all I'm doing now, he says, I'm, I played my best golf when I, was tr- play- when I was just trying to play a draw and make birdies. He says, and all he's going to do is just try and, try and play a draw and make some birdies. And he sort of, he'd gone down that rabbit hole of technique, got a little bit lost and then come all the way back and gone, I'm just going to go simple to what he did when he was younger, which was focusing on the ball flight, you know, trying to create that draw and just trying to make birdies. So simple, but, you know, massively powerful for, a, a, a you know, an incredible golfer. See, I just think that comes right at that. What I believe is the fundamental question that every one of us in golf need to explore. I'm not saying I've got the definitive answer, but... I think the fundamental question in coaching for the last 20 years is what is wrong with my swing? Now, if that is the fundamental question, what is wrong with my swing? There will, there will always be an opinion on that. Yep. And there's never, there's never a conclusion. I agree. You never get there. No. But if the fundamental question is, is what's wrong with my shots? Mm -hmm. That's a different thing. And and as, as Andy's just said, if the goal is all I want to do is just hit a draw, well, now we can work towards that because there's direct feedback on every shot, how close or how far you are away from that. Now, and you hit, you do hear these things as well. So you hear about Claude Harmon talk about what he did with Brooks Kepka, and Brooks Kepka would come to him and he would say, look, I'm, I'm trying to hit a draw. And Claude said, what are you trying to do? I'm trying to hit a draw. And he says, well, okay, yeah. And he says, well, I find it very difficult to do it. And he says, well, what do you want to play? He says, well, I want to play a fade. He says, well, play a fade then. You know, so straight away, and, and I think it's easy to look at it and go, well, no, no, he, you know, he, sh- he thinks he should play a draw. No, 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 he, he, he's been recommended. That might not be a bad idea, but actually he really wants to play a fade. And if we think about it, there's no reason to suggest he should play a draw. Yeah. If him playing fade only means that he might struggle to play a course like Augusta as well, then so be it. He's still going to win all the other majors anyway, which he's been obviously proving that he can do. And there's no reason why he can't win at Augusta because of how long he is. So I think, you know, a lot of golfers perceive they should do something with their swing, as you just said, whereas actually just go out there and figure out a way of doing it. And this is why the stuff that you're talking about is much better at figuring out a way of playing golf, which is what we should all be doing. Yeah. And I just, I always think it's interesting on that point is that, you know, this idea that, or you can't win somewhere. The classic one, wasn't it, that you know you have to draw the ball to win at Augusta. Augusta. Yeah. Uh, just remind me of the fellow who's won it the most times, um, Mister Nicholas. Nicholas, which <laughs> what shape did he use? So you know, you know, he found a way of working it around there with a with, with a fade. So yeah, yeah if if you fade the ball, surely in eighteen holes there's going to be some holes on every golf course that you're going to have to adapt what you do. Of course. But there's other holes that's going to be suit you down to down to the ground, you know. So, but yeah, I think I think if there's a shift from what's wrong with my shots to what's wrong instead of what's wrong with my swing, I think that just opens up a whole world of different possibility where there's a great collaboration between coach and player. Then because there's an endpoint, there's a solution. What's wrong with my swing? Good luck with that one. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Do you know what? Just just, uh, just a quick one. I'll jump in on this one as well because it, I think just talking about this is massively powerful. There's, over the last probably, well, I suppose a few weeks, in our, we've got a private Facebook members um, group for our, our, our website members. And um, we're going in there every day and having a look and seeing what people are interacting with and sort of giving them help and stuff. And it's, so, it's, it's amazing how many people post their swing <laughs> and, and go... Can you give me any pointers with my swing, please? And they have given zero information about the ball flight, and like it's it's all the time. And it's uh, I, I'm going in there and going, look, the last thing you want to do is change your swing. We want to know what's going on with the ball. What's the ball exactly. doing? That's the most important thing. So I think for anybody out there, then there's going to be a lot of these guys. Don't just focus on what is wrong with my swing. You need to actually understand. What is going on the ball with the ball flight, and then what do you need to do in order to correct the ball flight or the, the impact that you're creating? But it's it's funny, Pierce. The, the 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 online lesson we opened up an online lesson, a couple of slots for this week, just in the current situation, Carl. And 
and I said to the guy, I said, can you send me some information about, you know, what you'd like to improve <laughs> and what you want to work on? And every single thing was swing related. He didn't m- mm. once mention the golf ball. It was like, I want to improve my early extension. I want to stop my early release. I want to do this. I want to do that. So I had to send him an email back and say, look, can you tell me what, what's going on with the <laughs> yeah. actual, the actual golf ball, please? Can you answer that please? again, please? <laughs> but these, this, there must be so many people like this and they're, they're going in, in such the wrong direction, trying to fix what it looks like instead of actually forget how it looks, what's, what's going on out there. So it's, I think it's a great point. I think it's so many people can really learn from that. You know, when people say to me, is that a good swing, whoever it is? And I say, I have no idea. I don't know what shot he was trying to play. You yeah, know, we, exactly. Because everything is about aesthetics, isn't it? We be, is, is it a good swing because it, it looks good and it flows and all the rest of it. But just that shift, you know, we're, we're not saying don't work on movements. We're not saying, do, but surely it should, the starting point should be back to intention. What do you intend to do with this thing called a golf swing? Do you intend to a draw or a fade? Do you want to hit all, all nine shakes? Well, fine, if you do. Okay, but surely it should start with what you want the thing to do rather than all the pieces of it. Because, you know, I, I laboured on the illusion only for about 15 years when I was trying to play that if I eventually got all these movements right, I switch, the, the shots would come out. Well, they never did. Mm. You know, so makes, yeah, it makes, makes total sense. I was a quick learner. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Shall we go into some quick fire questions, Andy? I yeah, think let's we get can go quick into fire some of these oh, quick I always fire get questions. With these. Oh, here we go. <laughs> So the first one was, who's got the best swing on tour? I know we've got to take that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so this probably isn't going to be that quick, but best advice you ever received? Best advice I ever received? Um, It would would be, and it's probably from a few different people, but but understand the importance of the 24 hours that you've got now in front of you. Really focus on what you're going to do today. Boom. That is quick fire, and I love that. That's perfect. So, turning around, what's the best advice you've ever given? Make the most of 24 hours that you've got. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to twist this a little bit. I want to know a specific that you gave somebody who t- achieved something. So, one, one of your uh, players, basically. Yeah. I think I think if you if you chose somebody like like Graham Graham McDowell, you know, we we talked about the importance of controlling attention and how how questions control attention as we've alluded to today and and you know that was 2003 when me and graham first first met and you know he's, he's always been kind enough to say that he sometimes he gets away from that but that's been one of the fundamental sort of things that he's worked on in, in, in his mental game you know graham he came up with a nice line you know questions are the answer yeah yeah there you go <laughs> Graham strikes me as somebody and I talk about this a lot I've got some weird obsession with this that if I look at someone like a, a Jordan Spieth or a Graham McDowell you know I wouldn't like to I always say I wouldn't like to fight them because I mm. kind of get the feeling that they wouldn't give up and they, they are they know what they need to do to get something done and I kind of yeah. get that with Graham you know think about Ryder Cups you know Poulter would be someone similar as well you know, someone they 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 look like they can get it done when it matters, but they look tough as well, mm. and they're not they're not prepared to let it uh, failure be a be a, an option almost. You'd want you'd want them in the, you want them in the in the trenches with you, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Funniest thing you've ever seen? What in, not, in life? Not, what? <laughs> not in the last half an hour. Not, not not on social media so much, but at a tournament or on the golf course, and someone playing a joke on someone at a tournament in the locker room. I don't know. Ooh. Oh, that's got me thinking. I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say uh, it was a story. But did I see it? I heard it, it was a story. Um, uh, Louis, I think Louis told me actually. Um, he was talking about uh, Miguel, and it was in, in, in a way that only Miguel can come out with this. And I'm gonna get the names slightly wrong, but Miguel's about to win a tournament, and uh, the plane coming up the last couple of holes, and. Uh, He's gone for this par five in two every every day, and and his caddy I don't even know who it was his, his caddy said to him he said I, you know I, I I think we should lay up here today Miguel and Miguel's just gone and he, and he pretended he, he said I think I can smell shit. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine him doing that. Just imagine. Uh, 
he, he is a, a very interesting character, and I hope yeah. we get to spend a bit more time with him. I like that. I like that. We, we, we have... saw we saw something funny with Miguel, didn't we? Actually, Pierce. Oh yeah, we were <laughs> at an AP event, an Odomapig event. He was doing his normal kind of warm up, and he split his trousers. <laughs> but he was making it was it was a full on warm up, so everyone was watching in front of like a hundred odd guests and. <laughs> Right down the crease, right down the middle, and uh, Francois, the CEO, was being very kind to him. About it, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. um, we have to ask this question all the time because we actually interviewed DJ on this and asked him that, and we came up to the point where it was where he'd actually hit his grandfather at a tournament. So he hit on the, a Doral on the first tee, pulled or hooked his tee shot a little bit and hit his granddad. Really? <laughs> <laughs> we got to the point where he wasn't, he said it wasn't funny at first, but then it obviously was yeah. when looking yeah. back. But uh, yeah, that's what. <laughs> um, biggest there's influence. A, there's a book in all of this somewhere, isn't there? Funniest oh. moments in go. Yeah. There has to be. There has to be. Imagine that. That's a good point, actually. Let's interview every player and get this story. Funniest um, moment. Yeah. yeah, I like that. I like that. Sorry, um, what was the story? Yeah, sorry. Biggest influence. Ooh, biggest influence. Uh, that would probably be um, from from a from a sort of mental game perspective. It would be a guy called Richard Bandler, mm-hmm. who is he was a co-founder of NLP. Um, and Richard's way of looking at the world kind of was really quirky and he's full of great stories and metaphors. And um, I, I remember meeting him and, and it just, a real character. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, John Grinder and Richard Bandler were the two co-founders of NLP and it's kind of like the angel and the devil really in a way. And, yet, and, and Richard's had some, some dark stuff that happened, but um, re- really, really interesting character, and it, and it, it kind of got me started looking at all of this kind of stuff that led off to, you know, Tony Robbins and different kinds of areas. But I always, I always found Richard's stuff very, uh, very practical. So I'll uh, be him. That. Yeah, yeah. Well, good on him because he's allowed us to be where we are as well. So that's for sure. Um, favorite book: The Lost Art of Putting. <laughs> no, no, it's other, the lost other, art other than your own. Golf. No, it's the... <laughs> other than your own. Other than your own. Favorite book would be a book called Redirect by a guy called Timothy Wilson. Yeah, and everybody should read that book. It's not an easy book. It's not. It's not a light bedtime read. But Redirect. It's called the story, and it's the subtitle is the stories that we live by. Um, basically, the idea is that we're all just a bunch of stories, and the stories that we tell ourselves become our reality. And 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 if you can change. If you understand that, then you can start changing the story. You become the editor rather than the actor. Sorry, you can become the director rather than the actor. The actor. Yeah. I've got that book in my drawer. I haven't got that to that book yet, but um, I'm looking forward to getting it. You actually. have time, no? Yeah. I've got time. Do you know what? I'm just no finishing, Carl. I'm just finishing this book, actually. Can you see this book? The Values Factor, right, yeah. Dr. Dr. John Demartini. I'm like 300 pages in. That's right. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a thick book. Full on book, that then. It is, yeah. I'm nearly done though, but it's a good book. Yeah. But yeah, I'm looking forward to the redirector. Obviously, that was a recommendation from you, so I'm looking forward to getting into that. Really good. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. Right, let's get you one more. So, with your clients, next major, which one would you want it to be? So you've got an open. You've got a US open. Uh, it's got to be Masters. I would have thought. I'd say it has yeah. to be, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. I'd love. I'd love that to happen. Yeah. 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 Um, just, uh, just on that, and sure, you guys have been there, but. Um, in a way, in a way, I don't want to don't want to go back because the first time I went to uh, Augusta was with Graham, and we drive down Magnolia Lane for the first time. We get to the bottom in the in the, the, the courtesy car, the room. We get out of the courtesy car, and the first person that we met was Arnold Palmer in his green jacket. And we actually shook hands with you know, Graham, and Graham was as starstruck as I was, and we were all there, and and and. You guys probably won't remember this. You're a bit too young, but there was a there was a, a breakfast cereal called Ready Breck. I don't know. Do you, do you, do you yeah, remember? Yeah, remember, do you remember? Yeah. Do you remember? No, I have no idea what you're on about. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember the advert when the, with Ready Breck when they used to advertise it? The kid who'd had glow. Had, a, had a big glow around. Yeah, him. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a force field, and that was like Arnold Palmer. It was like a, it was like being hit by a force field, this guy there, and he was immaculate and he's in his green jacket and he shook hands and his and his hands were just huge, you know, shovels, but just just a just a real gentle genuinely nice person, you know, you could you could say, well this is this is why that you know, 
obviously he, he was one of the ultimate legends but I thought after that there's no point in going back again <laughs> yeah <laughs> There's definitely no point. There's definitely no point. Super. So yeah, Carl. Carl. Yeah, thank you so much, Carl. It's been it's been great to have you on. Could we do one of these every week? You're okay with that, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, do you know what? I think from from our side of things, we love just you know learning and listening to somebody like yourself talk because it's just it just fascinates us and uh, you know we're always trying to learn and improve ourselves and um, I know you're the same and ultimately we just want to try and pass it on to others to to get better so just uh, just want to thank you for your time and uh, right. just say really enjoyed that um really where should the guys good. thank you where's the, where should the guys follow you and, and obviously you've got a couple of books out. it'd be great for you to sort of let them know where they can get them i don't think uh, amazon are delivering books at the moment but they Kindle's should be still get available i think so yeah the uh, the two books that i, I, I did with uh, gary nickel uh, the lost art of putting and the lost art of playing golf uh, we've had some nice reviews, and they've been number one on Amazon for a while. So they're they're actually still available on uh, on Amazon and Kindle. Um, or there's the website, thelostartofgolf.com, uh, and then then my own stuff, um, online programs, etc. And the Mind Factor uh, training course that's at themindfactor.com. You can have a look at have a look there for that. Yeah, Plus, you'll be obviously now doing content for me and my golf as well. Yeah. So on the website, we've got a couple of shows a week that you get. A couple of shows a week, couple of changes, <laughs> couple of shows a month, that. <laughs> <laughs> couple of shows a month that we're going to be getting you on there as well. So look, I think oh, yeah, as as Andy says, yeah, we, we're really excited. And I think uh, hopefully the members are going to really get some good value out of that as well. And yeah, and thanks so much. No, I think uh, keep it's, safe. It's like we were saying before, isn't it? I mean, this opportunity does give us all just, I mean, just to share ideas and share information. And, uh, you know, it, uh, it's, been, it's been been really great this morning. It's, um, time, time's disappeared, which is always a good sign. Well, it's yeah. not morning anymore. It's afternoon. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go for my walk now and see how long I can keep my attention on the feet. So, see if it gets go, 10 yeah. under. <laughs> <laughs> I will. <laughs> through, through eight. <laughs> Carl, thank you so much. Brilliant. Thanks, Carl. Brilliant. Speak to you soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. There you have it, guys. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Massive thank you to Carl Morris there. uh, We love having Carl on as a guest and just chatting to Carl because he's, uh, he's a great guy and it's something that we're really passionate about in terms of our coaching as well. So make sure you check Carl out on social media. Check out his website. If you can attend one of his courses, you will not be disappointed. And don't forget to check out his books also if you want to improve your game. Now, in this current situation, we're actually doing a special offer over on our website. Now, our website really is uh, is our premium content where we've created lots of coaching plans to really help your game and help you achieve any goals that you want to get to. Now, what we've done for this period of time, for a limited time only, is we're actually opening up the website for a free 30-day trial. Now, it's normally only a seven-day trial, but we've got free 30-day trial. We've unlocked three different coaching plans. We've also done an indoor golf video series that you can check out that's loads of drills that can help you over the next few weeks while you're indoors and also we've got another series coming very very soon as well so make sure you check it out all you need to do is use the code home30 h-o-m-e 30 put that in checkout you can cancel at any time but there's so much content on there that can really help you over this period of time and we'd love to see you over there and have the chance to make a difference to your game so thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time on me and my golf podcast